0: i can't believe it took us an hour and a half of recording time to get to shirtless Goldblum. how long you True. think this would be like the first thing we talked about was oh so what's up uh, what did you like about Jurassic Park oh shirtless Jeff Goldblum Hey, everyone. Welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David, and I watch too many movies.
1: And my name is Amanda, and I read too many books.
0: We are brother and sister, and this is our podcast for nerds, where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on and tell you which one is worth consuming. That's right.
1: Uh, Today, we'll be talking about Jurassic Park, including the 1990 novel by Michael Crichton and the 1993 film adaptation.
0: We're assuming you're familiar, but just in case, here's a quick summary of the entire plot that I totally prepared beforehand and I'm not just going to make up on the spot right now. Okay.
1: (laughs) Because it doesn't work for us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't work for us. Uh, So Jurassic Park is about an island owned by entrepreneur, big business man, old white guy, John Hammond, Mm -hmm. who finds technology... Uh, That can clone dinosaurs and he fills up an entire park of them. Uh, After an incident, he is forced by his investors to invite a bunch of experts to his park to okay it before the launch. And obviously, every possible thing goes completely wrong. And this story is about that night. Does this all happen in one night? Or I guess it's one weekend. I
1: think, yeah, I think it happens over like two days, but basically
0: one terrible day. So this goes over one terrible, terrible day of dinos mm-hmm. pretty much so there's your fantastic summary if you need more i don't know go to wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> i'm already combative on the dist- summary
1: <laughs> weirdly hard to distill this down into like 60 seconds because a lot of stuff happens in it
0: yes it does so Mando, what was your first experience with jurassic park
1: Well, when it came out, I remember I was super young. So I was five or six or something like that, uh, dating me a little there. And so obviously I was much too young to see it in theaters, but I remember everybody talking about it. And the first time I interacted with it was we were at a family party and they had it on for the adults. And in the basement, they had on a movie for the kids, which was The Never Ending Story. And I snuck upstairs to watch part of it, and I watched The T-Rex Attack. And I was like, nope. And I went back downstairs, and I watched The NeverEnding Story instead. Which, looking back on it, is not a much less scary movie than Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting choice on my part. But that was the first time I experienced it. And I honestly stayed away from it for a long time, because I didn't like scary Movies when I was little, Um, and then when I came into my teenage years, I uh, wanted to. I read my first Michael Crichton book. That's what really happened. I read Andromeda Strain when I was in sixth grade. Okay, and in sixth
0: grade you started reading Michael Crichton. Yes, gosh, you nerd!
1: And it was so good. And so I started looking up other books about him, and I realized he also wrote Jurassic Park. So that's when I kind of like revisited it. Um, and I watched the movie when a whole bunch of times since then. I didn't read the book until a few years ago when we were driving across country. And so, so we got the audiobook. It was my very first Audible purchase. Uh, we were listening to the audiobook in the middle of the mountains at night, and
0: it was so terrifying. <laughs> the t-rex was just gonna come through the mountains yes grab you while you were driving no the raptors were gonna pop out
1: or something like that so all in all i've had like i feel like i've had a relationship with this story for most of my life because <laughs> it's popped That's up fair. from time to time yeah and i watch it regularly i watch it maybe twice a year or something like that
0: yeah i feel like jurassic park is one of our family's most yeah watched definitely movies. a go-to movie
1: on vacation yeah. and stuff
0: So much so that I honestly cannot remember my first experience with Jurassic Park. I feel like it's just been constant Mm -hmm. my entire life. Mm -hmm. Like Our parents were never responsible in what movies we could and could not watch with them. By the time
1: they got to you, (laughs) not so much, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There was no separate kids movie going on. It's just like, whatever, guys. We're all watching Die Hard. Get over it. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, oh, this is good enough for
0: the whole family. (laughs) Yep. But what I do remember is that after seeing the movie for the first time, I did get obsessed with dinosaurs. Yeah,
1: you would have been like the perfect age
0: for it. Yeah, I think I was like seven or eight when I saw this. And I specifically remember during a scholastic book fair, going and buying a big book of dinosaurs and me just looking at it all day. So great.
1: Scholastic book fairs. Throwback. Good times. I miss, them every, I miss them all the time.
0: I miss them so much. I feel like there needs to be an adult scholastic book fair. Yes, I realize it's basically That's Barnes & Noble. The mall, and I can go but
1: <laughs> There's something so much better about being able to leave your classroom in the middle of the day and shopping in the hallway for
0: books and erasers. I agree. Yeah. We need to have that with our jobs. <laughs> so let's move on to some fun facts. Amanda, do you have any interesting... Book facts. Yeah, I got
1: a handful of good book facts. Um, so the original idea for the story that Michael Crichton came up with was going to be a graduate student who basic who follows this scientific procedure to basically clone a dinosaur. And he was his big problem with it was he was like, well, who's going to pay for it because this is going to be super expensive. <laughs> so that's how he came up with the idea of basically having like the Walt Disney of dinosaurs um, be a main character of this book and start an amusement park for it. Um, which I thought was super interesting. Uh, also super interesting. A lot of, a lot of the book facts are tied very closely to the movie facts because it was, this was sold, uh, the screenplay was sold a year before the book was even published. And so that really makes me wonder like how much of what he put in the book was he thinking of from like a movie's point of view? I think there are some, like, as we talk about the story, I think there's some choices he made um, that make me feel like he was like, yeah, this is going to be a great blockbuster thing. Yeah, this um, is that a Michael Crichton voice. Uh, that is a young, young. I think he was like in his 60s when he published this. So maybe he wasn't that young. <laughs> this was a young All
0: authors are old. Yeah.
1: Good authors are old.
0: Yeah. That makes me feel a little bit better about my life. But I do find that very interesting because a lot of this book does read like a movie. And I will say, three out of the four episodes we've done so far have had the screenplays sold at or shortly after the publishing. We we didn't
1: know beforehand. So it's interesting that we're gravitating towards that just by itself. Um, After this, you know, it was a best selling book when it came out, um, the movie was obviously like a huge success. And after that, it launched a surge of paleontologist interests and enrollment like across the board for the rest of the 90s, which I thought was pretty cool. So everybody who was like your age when you saw it, like when they were 8, 10 years old, were like, oh, I'm going to study dinosaurs now. And they decided
0: to actually do that. Um, Your little boy's voice (laughs) is a lot better than your Michael Crichton voice.
1: (laughs) I guess I'm a bag of voices. I guess that's my thing today. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was funny that a lot of the dino facts that Michael Crichton – Included are wrong You just like made up for like dramatic And my favorite one was the Dilophosaurus The fact that it had You know that's in the movie I like very clearly picture it with that big fan that pops up That wasn't a thing Steven Spielberg added that for like Effect And the fact that it spits poison Also not true So I thought that was like the two things that we remember about that dinosaur Totally not true So I thought that was kind of funny Um, And then in 2002 uh, Michael Crichton had a dinosaur named after him, uh, which oh. he said it was better than winning an Academy Award. It was like the best thing that could have ever happened to his life. So I thought that was pretty cool. So he's, he's, um, uh, made his, a name for himself amongst the dinosaurs forever.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I think it's, uh, it's kind of like the Indiana Jones effect yeah. where people saw Indiana Jones and they all thought they'd be, you know, be chased by boulders and, and stuff I'm as a Tricher archaeologist. And-
1: Jumping out of the way of traps and stuff.
0: Yeah, same thing with archaeologists. They think they're going to be chased by dinos. Yeah,
1: when really you're just like playing in sand forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just like constantly dusty. Like constantly in sand. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, do you got any cool movie facts for us?
0: Yeah, there's so many things that I could talk about I, for movie facts. I it's I peeked briefly at the IMDb.
1: Like trivia page, it is so long. There so is many
0: so many facts in long. there. Well, this is one of the. Uh, I mean, this movie is a classic, right. and not only that, but it's a movie that revolutionized how movies are made with computer generated images. You know, it it is such a revolutionary movie in all those sort of ways. So, I am not going to spend time going through a ton of movie facts because I think we're going to touch on a lot of those things. But just two things I found very interesting. One, Harrison Ford was originally considered for Alan Grant. Yeah, which would have been <laughs> – I think – I think it would have been bad. I think it
1: would have been bad, yeah. And I thought I – that was one of the facts that I stumbled on on the IMDb thing where he Harrison Ford passed on it because he thought it wasn't the right part for him. And then after he saw the movie, he was like, I was right. That was the wrong part for me. Yes. Like, what a classy dude. <laughs>
0: Harrison Ford is very good at understanding his talents yeah. and his limits and what he should be cast in. There's a reason why he wanted to be killed off Star Wars because he was like, I'm done with this character. So he's, he's very good at that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. The other uh, interesting tidbit, this one about the CGI, is that originally, and I didn't know this at all until I was doing my research, uh, they did not plan on doing like any cgi at all Mm -hmm. the only reason they hired ilm the the people who did all the cgi for the movie was originally to add motion blur to stop motion i mean that was gonna be all of the um actual like dinosaur scenes was stop motion filmmaking with motion blur added in to make it look like a movie yeah it would have looked terrible (laughs) Well, it's just really funny to consider that they went to this high end, uh, yeah. like industry leading technology, that they're using to replace this very old, outdated, going out of style technique.
1: Yeah. Well, and then the guy who I'm going to bounce on both of your your facts because I stumbled them when I was doing my own research. Uh, And I thought that was so interesting. And the guy who – he literally made all the models for all of the dinosaurs. He did all this research about how they moved and how to make it realistic looking and stuff like that. And they actually used what he had done to base the CGI off of it. And that's why the CGI has so much weight to it because it's based off of actual like studied movement instead of kind of what CGI ends up being – like around that same time or even to this day where it just like, it doesn't look like anything real, which I thought was oh, yeah. so interesting.
0: Yeah. It was, uh, the work done on it is incredible. Yeah. And it's really funny to consider too, that, uh, ILM tricked the movie production company to like hiring them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like a certain guy, I can't remember his name. I was watching like a doc on this yesterday who built a working, t-rex uh skeletal model walking awesome and what happened is the producers were visiting ilm one day and walking through the office and he purposely played that video on repeat on a bunch of monitors in his office so that when they walked by they would notice it and that's the reason they eventually got hired
1: he was just like laying out his resume like around the office as they walked yes picture walking
0: in and he's like oh whoops I left my dino video playing
1: <laughs> oh that old thing I'm just working on that for fun not anything actual you know whatever
0: I didn't spend six months <laughs> making this or anything
1: it's not like I'm betting a billion dollars on getting this job
0: <laughs> it's not like I ignored all my responsibilities for the last couple months a, and I'm on the verge of getting fire. I totally did it what a genius totally genius yeah Uh, But let's take some time and dig a little bit more into the story. Yeah, Amanda, what do you think about the story in general?
1: Story in general, I love it. So I, um, like I said, I've had such a long relationship with this story. I think it's so good. And I think the themes that it plays with holds up to this day because it's really talking about progress and the the cost that comes with progress, um, like also like all the good things and all the bad things that come with pushing forward into something new, right? And I, st- I think that's still a conversation. Um, you know, Michael Crichton wrote this at the dawn of the 90s when everything was exploding, computers were coming up, and that was always going to be a huge conversation we were going to have. And even though we're some 30 years removed from that, um, that's still a conversation that we're having today about how much what is the, like, we have, we only are only looking at the benefits of progress a lot of times and we're not thinking about the cost of them. And even though we're not bringing dinosaurs to life every single day, it feels like this science could still totally happen today, which is the crazy part. Yeah. So as much as it's like a dated science fiction novel, it's still like rereading it, it still feels like it's something that could happen. And I think that's such a great find and such a rare find for science fiction specifically.
0: Yeah, I love the consequences of progress that it displays. And it, it fits in perfectly. Like Facebook mm-hmm. is in gen. Yes. Facebook and Google and all these sort of things. Like he could just plug and play with these different companies yep. and it works yep. just if as well. If you told
1: me that Facebook was engineering dinosaurs, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right.
0: <laughs> I'd be like, what took them so long?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Facebook plus uh, Disney launching a, di- uh, you know, a dinosaur park. A killer dinosaur park? Totally. Totally see it. Yeah, totally probably see probably it have taken comment. priority yeah. for it. So, yeah.
0: yeah. I think what I respected most about this story is how well it worked both in film and written form, yeah. and how the themes and ideas are very similar, but seem like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I would say in the movie, uh, it focuses a lot more on this idea of playing God. Mm-hmm. And the consequences that come from that lack of discipline where I see the book as more into the themes of like still having some of that, but going much more deeper into this idea of corporate greed and money painting the scientific community. And it was very similar to the movie that I mean, I've seen a thousand times at this Mm -hmm. point. And so it was interesting to see take those ideas and put them into a new light for me that, to me, was just more relatable for today. Yeah.
1: So what did you specifically think about the book? This is the first time you read it, right?
0: Oh, yeah. This is definitely the first time I've read it. I remember seeing the book a while ago and being like, nah, too long. (laughs) It is quite Uh, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. But, oh, I loved this book. I think what impressed me most about it is how truly terrifying this is. Like, I thought Spielberg, I mean, he did a great job with some of the scenes in the movie, but looking at this book and reading some of these scenes, it's like he really didn't have to do much.
1: Yeah, Michael Crane did a lot of legwork for him and kind of just like alley-ooped it up to Spielberg to frame it well.
0: (laughs) There are like so many terrifying scenes. Here are are some of my favorites. Um, Top ten. One, yeah, here are some of my top (laughs) ten. First, Is sort of like in general, Mm -hmm. the book spends a lot more time on Grant, Lex, and Tim. Mm -hmm. So that's Dr. Grant and the two kids uh, being hunted down by this T Rex. And they have a lot more scenes with that. And every single one of those are absolutely terrifying. (laughs) So in the movie, you just have that one scene when the T Rex breaks out. But in this one, you had uh, the waterfall scene mm-hmm. with the T Rex's tongue coming out mm-hmm. and trying to eat Timmy yes. or Tim. That was terrifying. Yes. Like
1: I, yes, I. This is my second time reading the book, and I had like a visceral response. Like I feel like I could still smell and feel that T-Rex tongue in the room with me when I was reading that. That's how gross it was.
0: (laughs) Michael Crichton does a great job at putting you in a place where you can like smell it. Uh (laughs) I think that's what actually hit me the hardest. Yeah, because he's
1: dealing with animals. And so he really gives you like an all around sensory experience
0: of being – trapped in like a pen basically with these creatures yeah when he was describing the dinosaur or the t-rex's tongue he described it as like musky yeah. and smelled like rot and decay and i smelled that and yeah. i was like oh no no no, no, no. get me out of here yeah
1: no i think um i yeah i think the book all around does a really good job because it spends Quite a bit of time, you know, in the movie, within 20 minutes, we see a dinosaur. They're at the island, we see the dinosaur. Um, And the book really spends its first few long chapters setting up this conflict as if you're walking into it and not really knowing you're going to end up at Jurassic Park. So there's, like, attacks on beaches. There's, um, you know, the, the dinosaurs have already gotten off the island. And so they're on another island attacking babies and, like, they're just like the small dinosaurs. It's not like a T Rex or anything, but they're the little compies that are attacking people. And it's setting up this mystery of, well, what is this animal? Where did it come from? You know, why is it all of a sudden attacking people? And then we hop to Grant, and then we finally get to the island and it's such a great reveal that way because it feels already like something sinister is happening and so that's sewn in really interesting where like in the movie there's this huge sense of wonder and it's very it's very it works really well for the movie because you spend the first half an hour being like filled with wonder and awe of like this incredible invention and these dinosaurs and how they did it and then the rest of the movie it's like oh, wait, we just created a bunch of killer monsters and set them loose in our world with us. Um, and the the book doesn't play with that. The book is a straight up sci-fi book. And so it's a really, it's a cautionary tale from the beginning. And so these guys are attacking and they're sneaky and they're creepy from like page one. And I, page yes, one, yes. And I love that so much. I think it's such a it's it's good science fiction. Like it plays with the science quite a lot. So even though it spends a lot of time explaining, um, you know what's happening with the DNA and the system and how they clone them and the corporate intrigue that's happening, um, even though all that is happening and could weigh down the book quite a lot, because it's also like a thriller, um, it's easy to get through those things. And so it's like the perfect blend between sci-fi and thriller. And I think that's why it's held up for so long.
0: Yeah, having that extra underlining problem of the dinosaurs getting out added that extra level of tension. Mm -hmm. Like Like Grant wasn't just trying to get back so that they could live and he could keep these kids safe. He was doing it so he could stop the spread of Velociraptors throughout the entire world, which is again terrifying.
1: Yeah, in the book, (laughs) they see Velociraptors go onto the boat that's heading towards the mainland, and they're like, Oh shoot, we gotta stop that boat. And so there's this added like ticking time bomb basically happening in the background throughout the weekend of this book, which I think really helps elevate it as a thriller,
0: really raises the stakes. And then uh, just a ton more terrifying dino scenes. Yeah. Like in the movie, you just have like the one where they try to get away from the T-Rex. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more. So there's the initial rain scene mm-hmm. in the book. There is a scene. And this this scene, I was extra terrified, where a, the T-Rex is sleeping and they need to get to a raft yeah. to escape downstream. Yeah. And the... And the t-rex goes into the water and swims like an alligator yeah. trying to chomp down on so them so scary <laughs> <sighs> that was so scary yeah. there's a scene with uh pterodactyls that is pretty much like what they just threw in jurassic park yep. three it's i think is the movie they had like it. the only good part of jurassic that. park three only good part of that movie uh, but they had a pterodactyl scene. They they just had a lot more... A lot
1: of different dinosaurs. Dinosaur
0: yeah. survival. And a lot, yes, a lot more dinosaurs. And I, I was eating it up. I read through the second half of this book, like, so really fast. quickly. A lot faster than the first yeah. half. Uh, so now let's talk about the movie. Amanda, how did you enjoy this movie that I'm sure you haven't seen a billion times?
1: Well, the... The nice thing about this movie is that it holds up even on the 40th watch time. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, no, it was really good. I think it's been I, I've watched it recently, but not very recently. And in thinking about it for this podcast and how I would talk about it, there are some things that I thought wouldn't hold up that surprisingly did. So I thought that, you know, I wanted to pay attention to the CGI. I think the CGI still looks pretty good uh, for what it is. I was worried about um, characters like being annoyed with like Jeff Goldblum. No, I think his character really holds up. Um, <laughs> I honestly think the strength of the movie is the characters. Um, I think, you know, the movie already relies on the book for a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to like action and suspense, but I think it improves on the book in its characters. Uh, Cause I think that the actors bring a lot to it. I think it's really well casted. Um, I think the action is really well framed by Spielberg. I think he does a really good job of it. Um, You know, in the beginning when it is a sense of wonder, all the shots are really open and beautiful. And in the times when it's terrifying, it's really like small and claustrophobic. And I think that's just his talent as a cinematographer. Um, But I think that to me, the things I enjoyed most were the characters. I think there's so many iconic lines in there um, that are split between so many different characters. And I I watched it with the subtitles up so I could also like read along to what the screenplay was going to be. And I just think it's such a strong screen, script mm-hmm. too. And so I loved it. I think it's, it's a movie I'm going to keep watching over and over again.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, it's on our watch three or four times a year list. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. The characters are what elevates this film and i think there's a lot of smart choices the movie makes in condensing characters from the book yes so a lot of these characters (laughs) man there is i had a hard time keeping track of some of the book characters yeah uh but they condense a lot and they bring some character traits over to different characters so my biggest love was actually lex uh they changed her character just a little bit worse than the book. book In the book, she would not stop nagging about how hungry she was. She would not stop saying, let me try things. She was the most annoying child in the world. And they completely uh, toned her down a bit. They gave her her some quality. Tim, yeah, she was a little bit older. She got the ability to be good at computers. So she was actually useful at something. She's a hacker. (laughs) Uh, And overall, Lex had the best reactions. Out of everybody. yes her I was sure. screaming. all of it was so good, she sold every single t rex scene mm-hmm. alone her and uh Lord Dern, yeah. holy crap oh, so they good. both were terrified, and I believed it. they were incredible now uh, you mentioned that there's so many iconic lines do you have a a favorite one
1: um I don't know, I love. Almost everything that Jeff Goldblum says. I I love the must go faster when he's in the car. I think that's so funny. Um I love I'm trying to think of other good lines.
0: Okay, my favorite line. Clever girl is so by good. Far, I'm sorry. Clever girl, yes. Uh my favorite line by far, uh, and I always forget about this line until I hear it, is Samuel L. Jackson's Hold on to your Hold butts. Hold on to your butts. Hold <laughs> on
1: to your butts is so good. It makes me laugh, makes me every, me laugh. every time. Yes, and he says it so seriously. <sighs> I love it.
0: It's it's something people don't say I enough. I love
1: oh, Sam Jackson is so good in this. He has like six lines, and he's one of my favorite characters.
0: Now, the one thing that I noticed a lot more on this watching, because I, I took a lot of notes this time. Yeah. I was trying to notice things I didn't notice before after billions of times watching it. And I think after reading the book this uh just stood out to me a lot more and that was jeff goldblum is is way too flirty he needs well, to bring it down he's a little, not, he's a little bit I like corny yeah yes, he God. is
1: I've, yeah so that's one of the changes that the movie makes too which i think is actually a strong change and normally i wouldn't be like insert more romance because usually i'm like don't <laughs> but the fact that they make um you know, Laura Dern's character and Dr. Grant, Ellie and Grant, um, in a relationship together. In, in the book, Ellie is like a young grad student uh, who's like 20 and just like some hot chick and um, and it's just as awesome in the book, but in the movie, they put them in a relationship together. And I think that just helps give them like both a character arc, which I appreciated. Um, but yeah, and then Jeff Go Bloom comes in and he's like super flirty. I didn't mind it as much. I think it was kind of funny uh, because it flustered Grant's character so much. I think it was like a nice yeah. mix up. Like he's basically like bringing a little chaos into Grant's life. And I like that. I like I really liked Grant and um, Ian Malcolm's character together in general. So anytime they were interacting, I enjoyed it quite a lot.
0: It was always hilarious. They were great together. Uh, is there anything else uh, that you noticed that you didn't notice before? Uh, these aren't maybe things I haven't noticed, but things that uh, I just like really liked that I think sells the movie a lot. One is Grant Oh, Grant. <laughs> we were doing so good. <laughs> doing so well. okay. One is Grant and Ellie's reactions to any dinosaur mm-hmm. completely sells it. Yeah. Lord Dern starts crying. Uh Grant starts like just mouth ajar, just freaking out his, when he Yeah, hurts. he falls
1: to his knees.
0: Like it's incredible. Eight.
1: Yeah, it's really good.
0: I love it. They really sell. Uh, combined with uh, the score of the movie, oh, the just makes you think, so oh my good. gosh, these dinosaurs are incredible. Yeah, the score
1: makes me, I mean, it's it's John Williams, isn't it? A John Williams score? Yeah, it's John yeah, Williams. Anytime I come across any of his scores, it makes me so, it fills me with nostalgia. And I think he does such a good job creating a really original score for this. Um, one thing, I had like one very small thing that I noticed, but it, it kind of made the movie just a little bit more exciting for me. So in the very first scene of the movie, because I was doing the same thing. I was like combing through it all to see if I noticed. I okay. In the very first scene of the movie um, where there's the rapture attack um, and Muldoon runs up and he tries to save the guy. There's this amazing kind of Spielberg 90s. Cut scene where it's the raptor's eye and the Muldoon's eye, and then the raptor's eye and the Maldoon's eye because they're staring at each other. as They're fighting over this dude, which is just an amazing scene in general. I always forget about that opening scene, and it's always so good.
0: You know what's my favorite part of that scene? What part? Muldoon, the close-up on his lips when it's like, Shota! Shota. 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 Another, another fantastic uh, quote from this movie.
1: Um, Muldoon
0: is nothing but great quotes. I think that's all that character is in this shorts
1: movie. Shorts and his, lo- his <laughs> fear slash love of raptors. What a great character. I love it. Um, But so that happens and at the very end when the, the same raptor is literally hunting him. I just, like, I never... He says like in the, when he's describing them to Grant and Ellie when he he brings them to the raptor um in pen. pen, yeah, to begin with, he says that they remember faces, and I totally miss that kind of like Chekhov's gun there um mm-hmm. until this watch, and then at the end they they lock eyes again, and that's when he gets attacked and killed and I just it's so good, like that's such like a background thing to include, but it's such a good little embedded story within the story of like this man versus animal. Happening.
0: I loved it. Yes. It's so
1: good.
0: <laughs> it's so great. It's, Everything it's, with the rap. It's
1: rappers. all told in visual storytelling, which I think is what I appreciated.
0: Exactly. There's a lot of like little visual stuff of, uh, you know, one thing Spielberg was great at was trying to make these dinosaurs seem like animals. So one thing that I didn't really notice until I thought about it was in the T-Rex scene, He attacks the first car with the children. And then eventually he flips the car over and he starts digging into the car from the bottom like as the if animal. It an animal that yeah. he flipped over. Yeah, I also like
1: I also like that he bites the wheels and he's like, Bleh, and then he bites the other one. And he's like, Bleh.
0: <laughs> it's I think the really dinosaurs are curious in this movie. Yeah. And you can tell they're sort of doing on the fly problem solving and discovery. And it is shown both in the special effects and in the puppetry and all of that. And I yeah. loved it.
1: I didn't, one last thing I didn't notice before, and it was more of like a technical thing. I didn't notice how often they switched between the animatronics and straight into the CGI. Um, Because they do it in a couple scenes where you see like the leg or the head of the T-Rex, and then he walks across the screen as CGI. And I hadn't noticed that before, which I just think shows like the strength of, the skill of what they were doing um, because it made it feel real because the first time you see it, you're like, Oh, that's a real thing. And then when it walks across and it's a little bit less um, convincing as CGI, your brain is kind of tricked into thinking that, Oh, that's still that real thing. And that I just saw, and I just think that that was really, it was a smart thing to do.
0: Yes. This sort of transitions to one thing I wanted to mention, which are three points on why the CGI holds up better than even some modern CGI yeah. and what they do right, where a lot of films, even today, get wrong. So one thing you've already mentioned was the mix of practical and CGI. They yeah. knew that when they were doing a close-up, they should not have CGI. They needed a puppet. Mm-hmm. Uh, because and the puppets are like,
1: so convincing.
0: The person who made all these puppets, his name is Stan Winston. I hope I got his last name right. I was I was watching so much of his stuff last night. And he built all the puppets for this movie, so that includes the Velociraptors, the breathing Triceratops, so, which was my favorite. It's so good. incredible that that was done perfectly. Ugh, but the part where she like touches its tongue and gets the gooey
1: part away from it, blech, so gross. Yeah, no, I don't it like makes, it. But it makes it feel so real. It makes it feel like
0: a real animal. And now Michael Crichton told me how it smells now, and now I yeah, extra don't now like. You it. experience it with all your senses. Yeah. Blech, blech, blech. <laughs> uh, But so how the velociraptors were done is they're basically uh, actors who are bent over picture like you're on a tiny little like Japanese motorcycle and you're sitting Mm -hmm. down and the waist up is sort of bent forward and their head is sticking in the neck of the velociraptor and they basically controlled the head and the arms through different mechanics and that's why it looks so good. Yeah. Uh, The puppets were designed completely in-house by him. So that's the first thing, is less reliance on CGI. Uh, The second thing is something that you mentioned earlier, and that is movement. Both in that either A, in the scenes, they're almost always moving. They're not really standing still. And also there's a lot of fast movement, so your eyes don't take time to really focus on them. And two, they spend a lot of time on the sound design. Yeah, and it shows. Yeah, it feels like when a... T Rex stomps, you feel the stomp, yeah. both in uh, the sound of it and also Every in the very visuals. end
1: when he sneaks up like a ninja. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that sneaky little T Rex at the end, just stomping <laughs> in. No, no one's noticing. Yeah. Uh, as well as, um, you know, you mentioned too that they spent a lot of time on the movement of the dinosaurs to make it look like there's a lot of weight, and you could see that weight when they walked. And one of the hardest things that artists struggle with CGI is making things not look floaty. Mm-hmm. You'll see that in a lot of even like, like bouncing Yoda. Yeah, like bouncing Yoda. Yoda. Yoda yeah, <laughs> bouncing Yoda is a good uh, benchmark. Yeah, <laughs> is it better than bouncing Yoda? Yes, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing is the lighting of the movie. You'll notice that the worst shots. In this movie that do not age well mm-hmm. are any shots where it's flat lighting and from a you know just basic overcast sort of lighting on a dinosaur because yeah. when it's flat you sort of see all the imperfections mm-hmm. whereas when there's very directional lighting like they have in the rain scene they have in the kitchen scene even when they first see the Bronchiosaurus uh at the start the light is behind it you see it coming down on them that is the best way to hide imperfections in CGI uh, so that you're not spending too much time focusing mostly on skin because skin is imperfect it has wrinkles it has pores and you notice that in flat lighting but you don't notice that in directional lighting Mm -hmm. but that is uh, my quick summary on why this CGI is good (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's incredible how it holds up because there's so many so much CGI I've seen even in the last like couple of years where you're just like, oh, that's just CGI. And I think it just makes a huge difference mixing it that the way the way that they decided to do it was really smart.
0: exactly. Uh some other just like little things that I loved. Uh Nedri's excitement at the start of the movie when he's getting introduced to spy stuff. Yeah. And he gets the bag of money. I, Nedry's introduction is perfect.
1: Yeah, it it would be very – Nedry was one I was worried because he's basically just being like Newman. But So I was worried like he wouldn't necessarily hold up. I think he just barely gets away with it because he's such a goofy character. And mm-hmm. that actor is just committing 100% to being this – Twab. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Every time he, he comes up to and he like waves at I think the agent's name is Dodgson or something like that. He waves him over and he's like, Don't use my name. And then he starts yelling at it. Like he's like Dodgson's over here.
0: Dodson.
1: Yeah, he's like, nobody cares. So he's the twob. And then he has like his plate of food that he's been eating. And He hugs his money bag. It's just like, it's such a good intro to that character. I'm like less, I enjoy him less when he's like, basically getting lectured by Hammond. He's, like, not as fun then. But I love, like, how nervous he is to do all his spy stuff. I love when he, like, runs into the sign, and we have that goof with the sign where he spins it. And he just spins it, and he's
0: like, guess I'm going this direction now.
1: I love when he crashes his truck, and he runs into the dinosaur, and he's, like, making fun of the dinosaur, because I, too, make fun of things that I'm afraid of. So I felt very (laughs) connected (laughs) with that person. And then he gets totally aced at the end, and I think his, his death scene is very good. Um, yeah, his whole character. I think it could easily have ruined the movie, and I think it was it, it
0: held up. It was very fun still. It it, it held up very well. Yeah. Uh, any other things on the movie that you wanted to mention?
1: Um, not necessarily. So who I wanted to see who was your favorite um death scene of any of the characters?
0: Is this both book and movie?
1: Both, both book and movie. Which one was your favorite death scene?
0: Uh, I mean. In terms of – oh, this is hard. This is really hard. I think there's two that really stand out to me. How about you go first because I think you're going to take one of the two. Okay. And then I'll just say the other one.
1: Um, My top death scene that I laugh at every single time uh, out of dark enjoyment is when – Gennaro is bitten off the toilet. I think it's funny. And-, <laughs> and I think his death in the book is is very good too, because it's this very suspenseful scene. He like falls down this ditch. He has leeches all over him and he pulls them off. So he's all bloody. And then he starts trying to like sneak back up and he gets distracted by the T-Rex and then just picked off. And that scene is very good too. So I think his scene in both book and movie are equally fun for like different reasons.
0: Yes, Absolutely. Uh, I love that
1: he's punished so harshly for being a coward in like a minute. I just I just think that's very yeah.
0: funny. Yeah, he's not really in the book, but he's punished hard. For his brief, brief time.
1: Yeah, they make it a little bit more satisfying in the movie, I think, because they give him a little bit more of the character flaws that Hammond has. So in the book, Hammond is just like a straight up villain. In the movie, he's a little bit more likable. And there's this part where he's like, well, every child in the world should should be able to see a dinosaur. And Jannera's like, well, I guess we can have like a coupon day. Only rich people are <laughs> <happy>. <laughs> And so it's a little it's bit a more scene. satisfying when he gets eaten up. <laughs> Because he was just like a law sucking lawyer.
0: Yeah. This does bring me to my favorite line mm-hmm. in the book. And I, I, I brought the book out so I can read this to you. Oh, but this okay. has to do with Ed Regis' death in the book yeah. right beforehand. Because uh I was listening to the audio book version of this, driving home, and I had to pause and laugh for a little bit when this happened. So let yeah. me read this real quick.
1: So in the book is his name, his name is Ed Regis. In the movie, he's just He's boiled down to Gennaro, correct?
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. They combine a couple characters. Yeah. All right. Here's the scene. Right before he runs out of the car with the kids, he has just seen the dinosaur. He is in the car and he is terrified. said okay. yeah. Ready? When the Tyrannosaur roared, it was terrifying. A scream from some other world. Ed Regis felt the spread of warmth in his trousers. <laughs> he peed his pants. He was simultaneously embarrassed and terrified. <laughs>
1: I mean, that is a, an appropriate response to a T-Rex being behind. I
0: think mouth. it was the way Crichton wrote this when he's like, he felt the spreading of warmth in his trousers. <laughs> <laughs> and is, yes,
1: excellent word choice. Oh my gosh. Excellent moment in general.
0: I don't know if he meant that to be humorous, but it was I so did. I don't he think he was to.
1: Yeah, I don't think he was playing it a hundred percent straight.
0: It was so funny. Yeah. And in the audiobook version, whoever's narrating it says it's so dry and no. I died.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the audiobook guy. Let me look up his name because he is an excellent narrator. Okay. So this book is narrated by Scott Brick, who's one of my all time favorite narrators. He also narrated Devil in the White City, which is another very tense book. Um, he's fantastic and he does a
0: great job narrating this book. He, he is excellent. Yep. I'm um, I'm only just now listening to audiobooks. Can I admit something to you? Yeah. For the longest time, I thought listening to an audiobook was cheating. <laughs> you're one of those. I thought it was. A book is and a then book. I started listening yeah. to
1: it. A book is a book. You're, you're still engaging with a story. I think it counts. I, I, and I like, can do
0: dishes. You can do
1: dishes. You can go to the gym. You can do so many other more active things than just sitting on your
0: butt and reading a book. Yeah, the spreading warmth line is what sold me on audio. It's audiobook. very
1: good. <laughs> you do have to find a good one. Like there are a lot of like audiobooks. So you you do have to listen to find a good narrator. But yeah, he yeah. he's definitely a great one. Uh,
0: but let me let me talk about my favorite. favorite death.
1: Yeah, tell me about There's it. There's
0: a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna do a book exclusive one. I first kind of wanted to do Nedry because his death in the book is super brutal. Pretty good. Uh, but my favorite death is something that they don't have in the movie. And that is Hammond's death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring it up as one of the most surprising changes that I always forget about that Hammond actually at the end.
0: Yeah. So before we sort of talk about the differences between the characters, I'm going to tell you, uh, why his death is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And that's because it is very slow and brutal, but also very, uh, symbolic of his entire character uh so he isn't killed by a very large dinosaur uh to set the scene he is running away from the adolescent t-rex which isn't present in the movie he falls down a hill Mm -hmm. he hurts his leg and so he's trying to climb up the hill when he's attacked by a bunch of compies, these tiny little dinosaurs who in the book reference to the fact that they are scavengers that feed off of uh prey that's already been killed or injured prey they
1: also uh and correct me if I'm wrong they also eat the waste of other animals too that they help like keep the ecosystem going
0: yeah they're scavengers yeah uh and in the book how he dies is not by you know some big dinosaur eating him but these little copies picking him off and uh Putting poison in him that puts him to sleep, and then he feels them digging into the back of his head. Yeah. That's pretty gross. Terrifying. And it was it was a great scene. And for me, because I am so familiar with the movie version, I'm like, oh, he dies. There's no redemption for him. His character doesn't change. He dies.
1: Well, I think – and I was thinking about this too because I read the book before I watched the movie and so it was kind of fresh in my mind. The Hammond in the film ends up being a lot more sympathetic and likable as like a – you know, just like a grandpa than in the book where he's really painted as this narcissistic CEO essentially who – because even – So in the movie, he has a scene where he's sitting at the table and um, Ellie comes and sits with him. It's right when they find out that Grant and the kids are somewhere in the park and they can't find them. And they are talking about – Hammond is talking about what he's going to do better next time. And Ellie yells at him because she's like, are you serious? Like this – if, if this has taught you anything, it, it should teach you that you shouldn't be messing with this. And he doesn't get that in the movie until the very last scene. So And he's by himself. So his death scene, essentially, is him being like, well, next time when we do this, we're going to make these changes. It's going to be so much better. And nobody's there to rebuke him. And so he doesn't have this moment like he does in the movie where he's kind of humbled by what's happening, and yeah. in the movie he hears like the gunshots aimed at his grandkids and stuff like that. In the book, he doesn't. He's very much removed from most of the action that's happening, and so when he dies, it's it's I think it's it's you know it's kind of a sci-fi commentary of. Well, some people are never going to change, right? There's always going to be mm-hmm. greedy CEOs and they don't, and they're just going to be swallowed up by their own creations. And I think it's a super interesting choice.
0: Yes. It's in the book, he is ignorant by choice. Uh-huh. While in the movie, he is like, has this naive visionary type character. Yeah. And the dinosaurs almost killing his grandchildren wakes him up while well, in the book he just never really changes yeah. he's still this corporate greedy ceo he
1: has this entire speech that i forgot was in this book to be honest and i every once in a while do you every once in a while do you like think of like this is going to be so nerdy. You, do you ever think about like an argument like a that's been made, but you don't really remember where it's come from, but it's like an interesting thought?
0: Yeah. Kind of re- no, 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 this isn't nerdy. I, I follow you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you nerds, come and gather at my feet. Meet- <laughs> oh, gather, gather and hear my tail.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think about this every once in a while because I think it's a very relevant argument where he is saying that like he sympathizes with the Facebooks and Google of the world who create something and then have to be regulated by governments because of the way that they affect people's lives. And he talks about why he got into entertainment instead of being in like something like research or like medical research, because he could have been like, he could have used his technology to make people's lives better. And he saw that as being like the tragic choice that fools make because they're so regulated. They don't get to put their own price tag. They don't get to control the thing that they created. And so he decided to go into entertainment because of that. And I think that's still like, that's such a relevant idea. Like who owns the ideas that people come up with if they start affecting other people's lives in a negative way. And I think that's still something relevant to today. And because he's so consumed by that argument um, he isn't able to grow past it, and I think that's so so interesting. Like all the scenes where he's lecturing and arguing with Malcolm, are are much more interesting in the book. I feel like because it's just like yes. an intellectual argument, and it, it wouldn't really have a place in the movie. So it totally makes sense for it to be cut out. But in the movie, he has a part where you know he runs out to the. Um, he's driving with Malcolm up to where Ellie and Grant and the kids have just escaped the T-Rex and Raptors. And Grant is like, I can't endorse your park anymore. And I've decided not to endorse your park. And Hammond is like, yeah, me too. And it's supposed to be like his moment of Mm -hmm. growth. And he doesn't get that at all in the book. He's just killed off by a bunch of dinosaurs.
0: Yeah. I, I found his character so much more interesting in the book and not necessarily because the movie one is not, interesting yeah but because it's just a different take on a character that i was so familiar with yeah uh one interesting tidbit is that michael crichton related more toward ian malcolm while steven spielberg related more to john hammond and that's one of the reasons why the the original screenplay was changed to have john hammond have more of a redemption arc
1: I think that totally makes sense. And to be honest, I mean, it's it's a bitter, it fits in a sci-fi novel much better than it fits in a, you know, adventure movie. Um, you know, they're, they're for two different audiences. And so it makes sense that Hammond doesn't get his redemption in the book. Um, and it makes sense that Crichton kind of connects so much with Ian Malcolm because Malcolm is very much, I would argue Malcolm is more of the protagonist, even though he doesn't drive the plot for it a lot he's there a lot of times in the background narrating what's happening and why things are going wrong um so i think that totally makes sense yeah so what would you change in this nearly perfect story
0: there really isn't much now i think it's less of like changing and more of maybe like uh, there's there's two things, because there's like one thing I want to, a small change I want to make to the movie, and a small change I want to make to the book. Mm-hmm. For the movie, even though the T-Rex coming in at the end and X mocking the raptors and killing them is like a cool scene, I would much rather have the scene in the book where uh, Alan Grant is feeding the raptors these eggs filled with poison pretty much yeah. throughout the lab. I think that scene is way better. I understand why they didn't do it. I think there's a lot of uh, technological differences or technological um, barriers that probably made that scene a lot more difficult to show. Yeah, uh, but I would have much rather had that ending because I think it's more exciting to see Alan Grant outsmart the dinosaurs for sure than just seeing a T Rex come in and you know bite a raptor. And I then they agree.
1: all. I. I always forget about that very last scene. Like for some reason, I always think I love the scene as goofy it is where they're trying to get the locks back on in the computer room and they do it. And and then they get away through the vents. And I totally get that they need like another big action piece at the end. I like when they jump on the skeleton and it breaks apart. I think that's very cool. But, like, the raptors all of a sudden being, like, these really slow creatures and this T-Rex all of a sudden, like, sneaking up on them. It's kind of mm, Yeah. Funny. I almost wish they did the scene where, in the book, there's this very scary scene uh, on the rooftop where the rap- raptors are attacking. And um, I almost wish they did something with that because they, they're they like, oh, raptors can only jump this high. And then, just kidding, they totally can reach us. <laughs> I think that's that's very fun. Um I think it was a very suspenseful part of the book and I almost wish they would have used that to be like the climax. Um however, the part where the T-Rex is roaring and the banner falls down is a very very it's good, classic. It's a, it's very a classic good shot. Game. Yeah, it's a very good shot. So I would never want to take that away, but I almost wish they would have orchestrated some other like big exciting ending. Yeah, it just sort of ends. It just sort of ends. like yeah.
0: Yeah. And again, there's nothing wrong with it per se. Like this, I don't think it ruins anything. It's just, I think now that I know how the book sort of handles that scene, I prefer the book.
1: Well, I think the book one is stronger because it's like emotionally tied to what's going on with Grant, whereas the movie one doesn't. Whereas like the climaxes of everything that happens in the movie until that point kind of do They have like this great emotional part with Muldoon and his thing is wrapped up. They have this like, (laughs) This mention in the beginning of Lex being a hacker and then she gets to be a quote hacker and kind of wrap that up. And I think those tensions make sense. Whereas Mm -hmm. like the final scene doesn't really do anything. It's just to be like T-Rexes are cool.
0: Yeah, that's pretty okay. much it.
1: Um, so I think the reason the one in the book is a little bit more emotionally satisfying because at the beginning of the book, Grant is digging up a baby raptor. He thinks about mm-hmm. him a lot. He carries around that claw with him. And it's wrapped up nicely if at the end he's essentially killing them with eggs. I think that's very cool. So
0: It's very, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, the other thing that I would change about this story, uh, and this is actually a book thing. Uh, and something that I I kind of found wild and out of character is at the end, uh, once they are essentially safe, the raptors have died. Their help is coming for them. They have secured uh, the visitor center and the power is back on. They're essentially safe. Alan Grant suddenly has this bloodlust, I guess, to go <laughs> find the raptor's nest and kill and maybe not kill but like find out how many they are and yeah. then kill them He put these like nerve gas grenades and at that point the, choice. yeah the story kind of went off the rails and I know why Michael Crichton did it he did it because he wanted to make another parallel to these dinosaurs being like birds because at the end of that scene you find that they are trying to migrate just like birds yeah. that's why they're going to other islands uh, however it just like didn't work for me it just it just felt very out of character for Grant to be uh very respectful for these animals, to be outsmarting these animals, uh and then out of nowhere he just wants to murder all of them. Yeah, the
1: I think I think both movie and book have like kind of a weird climax scene. And the book one I yeah. think is weird too. Um it my one change that I would have said should have been in the movie is in the book they basically napalm the island and kill everybody and i feel like yes. that definitely should have been the reaction that they had in the movie that definitely should have happened <laughs> <laughs> um and then there's kind of this like this sequel thread at the very end of the of the book where they're like we have found like a herd of dinosaurs who are on another island Basically, eating lysine rich animals and killing people. And it's like a nice lead in to what's going to be the next book. And I almost wish they would have done that. Like, I wish it would, it didn't feel like they were taking it very seriously at the end. It felt like a very Spielberg ending where they're like, well, off the island. I guess everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And part of me is like, but wait, that's the problem is not solved. You guys just ran away. And so I kind of, I slightly <laughs> wish um, they would have done a little bit extra. I think if the movie was made today, they would have had like a
0: piece to it. I think that's more of a difference in how Hollywood makes movies I now. Agree. Because I totally agree. if they had a chance to put in a sequel nowadays, absolutely they're going to bite on that bit. Whereas back then, it's just like you make a movie yeah. and then. I mean, they did make-
1: Sequels. but like for me it didn't quite wrap up everything and i think that's just because the movie wants to be like this adventure family movie instead of yes. being really about these dinosaurs the dinosaurs are just like a plot device
0: so another f- fun fact I-, I i think movie facts just come in randomly now uh as i remember <laughs> them from my big <laughs> INTP uh james cameron tried to buy the script and his original idea was to have aliens, but in a dinosaur park. What? Yeah. Wait. So, like, what? So, like, the movie Alien.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you meant, yeah. like,
0: actual. I thought you meant, div- like,
1: Alien. <laughs> I did not <laughs> follow that thread at all. Okay, like, the movie, you know, like, <laughs> like, the like plot movie. Alien.
0: Yeah. Uh- yes, where the yes. not aliens come down and then yes. they're best friends with the dinosaur.
1: I mean they're fairly similar They're very parallel
0: This one's just a little bit more family friendly This
1: one's definitely more family friendly which I enjoy I enjoy all the um, You know the, the movie Did a little bit more with Grant Being a you know interacting with the kids. I thought every interaction with Grant and the kids was hilarious. The fact that he's like yes. so bad with the kids is so funny, like from day one. And then they just like love him in the end. And I just think that's a very sweet kind of arc. Um, So I love all the stuff that was added. I'm glad it wasn't like a straight up horror film. Because yeah. <laughs> it definitely could have
0: been. <laughs> now that you're bringing up the kids and Grant, one little thing I noticed this time that I didn't notice the first time I saw the first 30 times yeah. I saw this um, is that Grant and Tim have matching outfits yes. when they yes. ask me. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> notice that at all. It's so funny. Everything. <laughs> Tim is really,
1: really good in this movie. And I don't, the kids are they, Both the kids are excellent. I don't remember liking the kids nearly as much. But I think um, the kids were kind of like meh in the book. The kids are so good in the movie. Their lines yeah, with each other dance are dance. really funny. Um, the way they tease each other, all their lines with Grant are very funny. Um, I think they really, like, knock it out of the park.
0: Absolutely. Now, uh, before we get into any nitpicks, I wanted to ask you, is there any scene in the book that you wish was on screen?
1: I think just adding that rooftop scene, to be honest. I thought it was really good, like, just from all of the tension from beginning to end to where Wu dies, I think is all very good. So I would have wanted to add that. The I don't know where it would have fit, um, but i kind of wanted to like visually see that that rooftop scene
0: yeah and i'll say that one of my favorite parts about like the raptor scene in the movie is like discovering that these raptors can do more than you yeah. think like it like one of my favorite parts is when uh ellie's like well unless the raptors learn how to open up doors we're safe raptor immediately,
1: immediately opens the door <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, and i would love to be like uh, Because there's this great part in the book where I think it's Gennaro runs down some stairs. It might be something else. No, I think it's Arnold. Mm-hmm. He's trying to restore the power. He runs down some stairs and he's like, gotcha, raptor. Yeah. You don't know how to go downstairs. Yeah. And then the raptor jumps like 10 or 12 feet down and then kills they him.
1: They <laughs> are constantly underestimating these raptors. And it's good every right. time. They're like, oh, this is just a yeah. dumb animal. Immediately gets killed by it.
0: It's like, there's so much comeuppance. There's so much instant comeuppance in the book. Instantly. Yeah, it's good. Uh, So now let's kind of talk about nitpicks, which is tough because I feel like both of these are pretty perfect. But Amanda, what nitpicks do you have? So
1: I have an interesting nitpick where I'm going to pick at it, but I want it to stay in the movie because I kind of love it every time it comes up. So this is going to be just a complaint about how ridiculous the technology is. I got it.
0: So you just want to complain to the manager. You don't want anything yeah, to change. I don't want anything want to change. To I know. just want to
1: tell a funny story and have people be like, oh, boy, that's all. Okay. <laughs> um, part where Lexi is hacking into the system and it shows her computer screen and it's a 3D model of the yes. park and she has to sift through it to find the right file. Is so funny every single time I see. She's like, oh, I think I'm in the right place, and it's just like zooming across this
0: 3D. I'm like, what a ridiculous computer system! <laughs> the user interface is horrible, it's, it's absolutely like absolutely horrible. View. Yes, uh, it, it's like you're moving but at like four <laughs> frames a second yeah. through this. Uh, UI, it's terrible. Well,
1: and then she's like, I know computers. I'm a hacker. So you would think she would pull up code of some kind. She does not. (laughs) Instead, it's just like an interactive computer game where she just presses a button. And it's it makes me laugh every single time. And so as ridiculous as it is, I want it to stay in the movie. I agree. I want to I want to have an enjoyable. Oh, the 90s moment whenever I see it.
0: You know, there's a version of that in the book, too. Uh,
1: oh yes, yeah. That's that scene is not that far off from what actually no. happens. In
0: the book. And that's the funny part is in the book, uh, the hacker character is replaced instead of Lex. It's Tim. I, one little side nitpick within our nitpick is that Alan and Tim have way more character traits and do way more things. Where I like oh. in the movie, they sort of spread it out to Ellie and Lex a and little Lex. bit more. They just treat the female characters better. Anyway.
1: It's a, it's not surprising. It's a sci-fi. Yeah. Look, a little bit. And so it's not to beginning it to begin with, it's not super concerned with its characters and then it's just like male character stand-ins for, and that's it
0: pretty much. But so yeah. in the book, Tim is hacking into the system mm-hmm. he's trying to interact with it and he can't figure it out. And then he puts his finger to the screen and the book, it, it very rarely used exclamation points as punctuation so when i saw this it made me laugh team's like it's a touch screen yes because you couldn't find
1: a mouse to interact with it which i thought was very funny too
0: it was hilarious and i Mm -hmm. just definitely didn't age well because i'm like everything touch screen brah yeah yeah
1: well, I mean, yeah, early 90s touchscreen was very exciting. They were, I love when they go into the car and they're like, it's an interactive CD-ROM. In the book, <laughs> I was like, oh boy.
0: In the book, it wasn't a CD-ROM. Do you know what it was?
1: Was oh, it a floppy disk? It was
0: a laser disk.
1: Laser disk,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> it was good. I did feel a little bit like... Nedry was justified because yes he had to write so much code and he is the only programmer they have for that entire freaking island and he said he had to write like two million yeah, lines two of million code lines yeah yes and he wasn't getting paid enough like i totally i totally get it i would have been job hunting too if that were him
0: yeah they made his character his character a lot more redeemable in the book, yeah. where it's like, oh, I understand why you're doing it. Hammond's a dick. Of course you're going to do this.
1: He's nickel and diming you, so I totally get it. Yeah. But he probably shouldn't have let loose all the dinosaurs on people. That probably
0: wasn't a good mm, move. Not a good move, Yeah. Uh, so my nitpick <laughs> is different. It's actually nothing story related. This is something <laughs> in the movie that I noticed for the first time watching closely, and it bugged me to no end. And it mostly happens in the... uh in the first half it doesn't happen as much in the second half but it is spielberg does a certain shot like 20 times in the first half and it is a dolly zoom in on a character's face the yes first, he does do that a lot. yeah the first time he does it is cool they're walking through a mine they find this amber with a mosquito and it dolly zooms on to uh the fly in the amber. Cool. Yeah. They do it so many times after that. I think I counted like six or seven times. He does the exact yeah. same shot. And the thing about that shot is it's supposed to be like uh, bring sort of like an epic quality to it. But he doesn't in so many scenes that don't matter. So like there's a scene where they're just watching uh, the intro video that's co- sort of explaining the science behind Jurassic Park. And yeah. they do a dolly zoom onto uh, who is it? I think it's to Ian Malcolm or one of the characters. And it was just like out of nowhere. And I'm like, yes,
1: he also ugh. does it. He does it quite a bit in the beginning. And I think it's to show like their awe of the place and stuff, which is fine. I think like the one where Grant is sitting in the grass and it dolly zooms to his face is very good. Um, that's the one that I mainly remember. There is a very funny dolly zoom onto Ian Malcolm after he's been attacked by the uh, by the T-Rex and he's just shirtless for some reason <laughs> hanging out on a table and it lingers so long, so long. he does nothing in that scene. He doesn't even say anything, but he has two dolly zooms onto his sweaty chest. And I think that is so funny it's such a strange choice to make and it makes me laugh every single time
0: i can't believe it took us an hour and a half of recording time to get to shirtless goldblum. how long you True. think it would be like the first thing we talked about was oh so what's up uh, what did you like about jurassic park oh shirtless jeff goldblum I don't,
1: it's not like a thing I would categorize as a like, but it's also something I would never want removed from the movie. Yes, And it's almost like they were like, we paid Jeff Goldblum so much to be in this movie. What else can we make him do? I know. Let's just have him sit on the table and take his shirt off. That's what
0: everybody here really (laughs) wants. It's really funny, too, because like Ian Malcolm in the book becomes actually completely useless after the T-Rex scene. He doesn't do anything except for like pontificate.
1: Yes, he's delusional and literally dying. Like, I'm. I'm he does die. He, yeah, he dies. Okay. Uh, that's all he does. He okay. just yells at Hammond as he dies. Whereas, and Jeff Goldblum, to be honest, doesn't do that much more for the plot, but he's a little bit more lucid. He's a little bit more there. So, uh-huh. yeah, just the shirt was so funny. But
0: yeah, the zoom in shots got a little egregious. Uh, in the, like, once you start noticing it, you start yeah. to get really bothered by how many times, because there's only so many times you can show do the same shot to show awe before it's like, all right, we get it. I don't there's
1: know. It. it felt. I guess I didn't. I wasn't bothered by it because it feels very 90s Spielberg to me. Like it felt like it feels very, very Hollywood. It's very Hollywood. It's very like Indiana Jones feels that way too. Like I know it has. A lot of dolly shots too. And there's so many good things he does with his shots, like the the shot where they're in the kitchen and the raptor comes up through the window and fogs the glass. Like I think is an amazing shot. Like he does so many shots like that. Um, even the parts where they're inside the car and the T-Rex, first of all, that T-Rex scene. How have we not talked about that? That's incredible book and movie highlight of both yes um but he's in the car with them and you see the t-rex in the middle and then he zooms out from the car and then stuff happens out and i think that's very like i think stuff like that is very good that i almost forgive him for his weird love of dolly shots
0: any other nitpicks or any other mentions
1: no i think the book it's just it's Both of them enjoyable, so it's very hard to nitpick them because the stuff that's kind of silly in the movie, I almost want to keep because it makes – it gives that movie so much character on top of Yeah,
0: it's got a certain charm to Mm it. Yeah. So, Amanda, I feel like this is trivial, but we have to do this at the end of every episode. Yep. Would you recommend the movie?
1: For sure. I think easiest
0: easiest question I've ever asked you
1: easiest lowball, right over the plate. I think absolutely is so enjoyable. I think it ages super well. I think it's tense and fun. Um, I think it's really fun to watch with a bunch of people. Um, if you can find that rare unicorn who hasn't seen it yet, I think it'd be very fun to watch it with them. Um, yes, I think it's super, super great.
0: Can I tell you something, uh, So my girlfriend, Evie, hasn't seen this movie (gasps) in about a decade. And so she forgot. to. they were saying never. She said she she saw it, but she's only (laughs) mostly seen the end of it. So Uh, she was reacting to it in real time. And it was so much fun. It was so so weird. I'm like, how have you not watched this? She's like, I don't know. I just just don't.
1: I'm like, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's fun.
0: I think the real question with this movie is how many times is it appropriate to watch within a year?
1: I would say twice. I think it's a really good summer movie. Every time it gets, you know, summery outside, I always want to put it in. And I think it's a good, like, stormy night movie when you're just itching for something to watch. I think it's a perfect all-the-lights-off kind of movie. I agree.
0: Uh, So, David,
1: would you recommend reading this book?
0: Yes, absolutely. If only for an expansion of the themes and ideas of the movie in interesting ways, because there's so many different places this book takes some of those core ideas that are worth digging into. Uh, Hammond's character and Malcolm's character are foils to each other and a lot more interesting. Uh, The... Uh, overall like plot and intrigue and mystery of the dinosaurs uh, is a lot more interesting it has so many other places it can go it made me immediately want to start reading lost world so in that way yes this book has aged perfectly besides the laser discs and touchscreen scenes
1: (laughs) Uh, and the computer hacking
0: and computer Uh, hacking
1: like whereas like in other films and things I've watched, whereas those would be like nitpicky. It just feels like it's a product of the '90s, and so it doesn't it doesn't make it feel out of place or strange or illogical that they're in there. It's just like, oh, haha, wasn't the '90s fun? Yeah. yeah.
0: One uh one small nitpick actually. I'm just gonna edit this in. One mm-hmm. small nitpick actually that I'm now just remembering is the system they use to count dinosaurs in the book is is wild. Like you can only count the exact number and then it counts it and it does lead to this great scene where they're counting the dinosaurs and it's it's really exciting when then they find out there's more dinosaurs in the park than they initially made. But what kind of computer system only lets you count to the number that you choose?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty weird. Well, because I think the way they, they explain it in the book is because they're trying to make sure that no dinosaurs died without them noticing. And so they had a max amount of, of – a max number and they're like, if any number – if it falls below that number, trigger us and let us know. Because they weren't expecting them to breed at all. And I love that – I wish they had put that scene in the movie because I think it's a really great scene.
0: Yeah, except then people like me would pick it apart and be like, why? Because totally. here's the totally thing, you totally could still part, design a system it. where it's like, count how many there are, and then it brings you up a number and you could still see.
1: coding in that. the 90s just wasn't there yet.
0: Boop, boop, beep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: As far as uh, I know, all it is is like a big 3D graphic of everything that's going on, so I don't know. Yeah.
0: Going at four yeah. frames per second, <laughs> overview. <laughs> <laughs> over the entire thing. Yep. I'm hacking, guys. I love, I love when she opened
1: the screen and it was just like an endless sea of file boxes. Oh, it's just so funny. It's so it's good. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that brings me to an interesting thought. Should we do The Lost World next?
0: Yeah, so a little peek behind the curtain for everybody. I had picked out a book already for our next one, but I kind of really want to read lost world now because i think it would be good to do these back to back and mm-hmm. honestly i really just kind of want to read lost world
1: i have never read lost world so i would love to be able to read it uh because i feel the same way it left me the end of the book left me being like oh i gotta find out what happens next um and i love hate the second jurassic park movie and so i would love to be able to compare it to what michael Crichton actually came up with
0: yeah yeah, let's do it. Let's do that instead. Okay. Uh, we'll do the book that I chose afterwards, mm-hmm. but if you're interested in the uh, next episode, make sure you read and watch Lost World.
1: Yeah, Jurassic Park 2.
0: Jurassic awesome. Park 2. And then after that, thankfully, there are no more book adaptations of any of the other movies, so we don't have to run into those garbage trash dumpster fires. I'm going on the record calling the rest of the movies garbage trash dumpster fires
1: but don't you want to um experience that weird one with the volcano and then they're in a mansion for some reason and they have the gun that they point at your enemy and then it sends a dinosaur to attack them instead of just shooting them
0: your ambiguous description uh makes it sound like you're excited for it it sounds like you have a great (laughs) memory of everything that happened in that movie
1: uh, that feels like the summary of all the last three movies, so I have no idea. And and probably the summary
0: of the next movie that they're going to come out with, too. There's dinosaurs. It's going to try to eat a child. Right. It's going to come close. Uh-huh. But not quite. But the kid's going to live. And then they, they have some sort of special ability, whether that is they outsmart the dinosaur, they have gymnastics, they mm-hmm. do something.
1: And the dinosaur has something else because of genetics.
0: and then they get loose on the
1: world and nobody seems to care at the end for some reason.
0: (laughs) And also they might be military weapons. Who knows?
1: Probably military weapons.
0: Probably military weapons.
1: Because if war can be made better by anything, it's dinosaurs.
0: Nothing is more terrifying than a t-rex not even a nuclear bomb definitely Nothing.
1: not bullets that can kill it. not
0: like it's not like that dinosaur could die of bullets
1: <laughs> it's not like it's made of meat and bones just like the rest of us
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so stupid
1: <laughs> so it basically sounds like we're doing all the jurassic park movies and we're a jurassic park podcast now i guess
0: no no we're stopping after <laughs> lost world there is no yeah. there is not enough money in the world to mm, i shouldn't say that but uh, there is nothing you can do you money yeah if okay. you give me a bunch of money i'll watch jurassic park 3 but there is nothing you as my sister can do to get me watch that
1: right okay that's good to know Yeah. for now yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's not a good sign guys
1: <laughs> uh so this has been adapted for your viewing the podcast where we talk about books and movies um we probably have some so- kind of social media out there by this point right this is episode four so
0: i think if we say say that in every single intro or outro that we've done so far they're gonna get the gist just go check out the links that we probably have figured out by now yeah go check out
1: our links follow us share us review us download stuff you know support us in any way the you
0: works can. It works.
1: We have an email now, so if you want to send a request for something you want us to talk about, you can send it to stuff at adaptedforyourviewingpodcast dot com. Mm-hmm.
0: Official. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I is- didn't know that you officially got the email.
1: That is officially our email stuff. S T U F F. It definitely
0: doesn't sound <laughs> like we <laughs> didn't know how to be professional podcasters and just made up an email. Stuff, <laughs> an email. stuff <laughs> at adaptive wow, review. Like
1: for a bunch of different stuff. So we're stuff at adaptive Remember both. Yeah. Um And tune in next time for. All of our really deep cut thoughts about Jurassic Park Two: The Lost World,
0: or Dinos, guys, or Dinos and T
1: Rexes, and Ian Malcolm.
0: That's right, Ian Malcolm's in the next one. And guess what, guys? A little spoiler: he has a shirt on.
1: Hey, aww.
0: hey, aw, <laughs> 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 around the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Definitely not as good as the first one. Alright. Bye-bye. Uh, okay.
1: See